Chapter 15 The Muni Brihadaswa Back on life, back on earth, life in the Kamyakavana without Arjuna was miserable for his wife and his brothers. Now that he was gone, the days and nights were full of him. The forest seemed desolate without his quiet presence, which had been a middle way between Yudhishthira's position and Bhima's. Most of all, Draupadi missed him. If she loved any of her husbands a shade more than the others, it would, that was Arjuna. Often she would hide away on her own and cry her heart out. As the days wore into weeks and months, even Yudhishthira began to feel the bitterness of exile. Not his meetings with the rishis cheered him anymore. Bhima and Draupadi did not help matters. One evening, when they all sat together in somber silence, Draupadi suddenly cried, All this wretched forest is so forlorn since Arjuna left. Sorrow hangs on every branch, leaf and blade of grass. Not even the flowers seem beautiful anymore. I can't bear it. I can't bear him being away. Nothing can make me happy until Arjuna returns. She was near breaking down. This was just the encouragement Bhima needed. He too was passionately attached to Arjuna and felt lost without him. He could always talk to Arjuna, while Yudhishthira was more like a father, someone remote and perfect. He was someone you looked up to but could not share much with because he lived in a rarefied world of dharma and spirit in which the earthy Bhima never felt at home. Now Bhima cried with feeling. Not just the forest, Draupadi, but the sky seems to lack the sun without Arjuna. And the night seems empty of the moon and the stars. How I hate this jungle and everything that is happening to us here. He began sadly, but soon his eyes burned, and yet again he turned on poor Yudhishthira. First you go and lose everything we had at a game of dice. Then you are quite happy living like a sannyasi. Sannyasi is a hermit who's renounced his possessions. You love this life, sitting with hermits from dawn to dusk, and you are determined to make us like it too. But we are kshatriyas. What war is what we are born for, and to rule. For a while this exile over some imaginary dharma of yours was at least bearable, that we were all together. Now to crown your foolishness, you sent Arjuna away. Who has heard of a Kshatriya doing tapasya, and for what? Bhima's voice boomed across the quiet jungle. Why does Arjuna have to worship Shiva? Because you have no faith in him or in me? It would take us just an hour to crush Duryodhana and his brothers. Did you ever think why they didn't challenge us to a battle but played dice instead? Because they are afraid of us. But though the rest of the world trembles at our names, our brother Yudhishthira doubts Arjuna and Bhima. We said we would go to Hastinapura and finish this thing off. You would not listen. It has been so long since Arjuna left, and there is no word from him. Did you think this was a game of dice? That Shiva would appear as soon as our brother sat down and called him? Ah, I don't know what to say to you except that you have ruined our lives. He seized Yudhishthira's arm. Listen to good sense at least now, Yudhishthira. Let us go and fetch our brother back. Then we will call Krishna here, march on Hastinapura, kill our enemies and have our kingdom back. This forest has become unbearable without Arjuna. It doesn't matter who is older or younger. You must listen to the voice of reason, even if it is I who speak in it. You must listen to me, Yudhishthira. Do this for your brother's sake and for Draupadi's. Yudhishthira was to have no respite today. Now Nakula spoke up. I don't want to live here anymore. I see his face in the trees. I hear his voice in the wind. And I want to leave this place until Arjuna returns. Quietly, Sahadeva agreed. I too would rather leave. Bhima's tirade hurt Yudhishthira most. Of all his brothers, it was Bhima whom Yudhishthira was fondest of, Bhima of whom he felt most protective, for all his bulk and strength. Perhaps this was because Bhima and he were closest to each other in age. Perhaps this was because Bhima and he were closest to each other in age, or possibly Yudhishthira felt that in his way Bhima was the most vulnerable of them. He knew it was grief that made Bhima speak so harshly. The son of the wind was still in a hurry to wreak vengeance on their cousins. He could hardly wait to tear Dusasana's heart, chest open, and let Draupadi wash her hair in his blood, or to break Duryodhana's thigh on which the Kaurava had called Panchali to sit. Bhima was obsessed, and Yudhishthira understood him all too well, to take rather than take offense at what he said. But Yudhishthira loved Bhima very much, and he couldn't bear to see him suffer. To see Draupadi pining for Arjuna also distressed him. Yudhishthira was the most soft-hearted of the Pandavas, and keeping his wife and brothers calm until their exile ended was an unenviable task. Often time and life itself seemed fearfully short, and he was on the verge of giving in and throwing high dharma to the winds. This was such an evening. Yudhishthira missed Arjuna as much as anyone else did, and he was tempted to let Bhima have his way. 
And so when the Rishi Brihadaswa arrived in that ashrama at just this moment, he came as God sent indeed. Bhima had to stop his tirade and Yudhishthira's moment of weakness passed. Argya was fetched for the merry sage, who was a short plump man with a permanent smile on his round and shining face. The other brahmanas came to meet him. Later when they all had shared the meal from the sun's plate, the one that Draupadi had, and the nights wore on, and the night wore on, Yudhishthira and Brihadaswa were left alone together. The others had turned in, the Pandavas obviously upset. Bhima and Draupadi hardly spoke a word all evening. When the two men had sat in silence for some time, Yudhishthira turned to the Muni and sighed, My lord, I am the unhappiest man on earth. Why do you say that, O king? You are indeed blessed. It all came pouring out of Yudhishthira, the loneliness he felt since Arjuna left, how the others had turned against him, how difficult exile had become, and how he had been on the point of yielding to Bhima that evening. Tears fell down his face. Perhaps I was wrong to send Arjuna away. I feel so alone since he left. It seems none of my brothers understands the way of dharma, and I have begun to doubt my own wisdom. If only Arjuna were here beside me, he is my strength. Brihadaswa patted the disconsolate Pandava's head. This is not the time to give in to rashness. Most of your exile has already passed. This is a trial and you must be strong. The dark days are almost over. You must not dream of submitting now. Besides, Arjuna will be back with you sooner than you think. Yudhishthira wiped his tears. He said warmly, I thank you for coming when I most needed to share my burden. It seemed that just being able to talk about his turmoil relieved Yudhishthira so much that he was actually smiling again. But then this was Brihadaswa's gift, that his was such a genial presence and he could make anyone see the brighter side of things. They sat together late into the night, while a silken moon rose above the forest in which spirits roamed now as freely as animals did by day. Yudhishthira discovered the plump Rishi was a veritable treasure house of lore about legendary kings of the earth, rishis of huge tapasya, divine devas, and gandharvas, powerful and sinister asuras. Brihadaswa was a font of legends, and awash on his profound and frequently hilarious stories, Yudhishthira soon forgot his troubles, as he had badly needed to. Into the small hours they sat on the steps of the ashrama, Yudhishthira never wanting the night to end or the rishis' grand old tales to stop. Once Brihadaswa turned solemnly to the Pandava, and said, Did you know you are not the first king who lost everything at gambling? Somewhat startled, Yudhishthira said, Was there another as hapless as me then? Who was he, Muni? Did he regain what he lost, or was he ruined forever? You must have heard of him, Yudhishthira, but you have forgotten. He was Nala, king of Nishada. He too lost everything at a game of dice, because he was also tested by time. Would you hear the tale of Nala again? Or is it too late and time for you to sleep? Um, so this is the story of Nala and Damayanti. It's a kind of a romantic fairy tale. I don't think the I don't think he goes into it because it's another fifty pages. That's what he says here in the translation. Okay. Would you hear the tale of Nala again, or is it too late and time for you to sleep? For me, Muni, laughed Yudhishthira. I was worried about keeping you up. These days sleep and I are no longer friends. I lie awake for hours after I have lain down. No, no, do tell me the story of Nala. The blithe Brihadaswa told Yudhishthira the story of Nala of old, how he lost his all at a game of dice. Tears filled Yudhishthira's eyes again when he heard the trials of that king. How intimately the Pandava felt he knew the long dead Nala, how well he understood his every misfortune every dark turn that his life took once he entered his evil time through the very door Yudhishthira had. The Pandava did not feel so alone anymore, knowing his was not the only life that had taken this twisted course. He was eager to discover how Nala's story ended. Muni, tell me what happened to Nala of Nishada finally. Did he take his own life or did he become a sannyasi in the forest? Brihadaswa laughed. Neither. Once his evil days were done, Nala won back his kingdom and the lovely Damayanti became his wife. He mustered an army in exile? Oh no, cried Brihadaswa. It was far simpler than that for Nala. He just learned to play dice. He won his kingdom back exactly as he had lost it. Yudhishthira was astonished. But how? He learned the arcane Akshakradaya, which few people remember anymore. Once he knew it, no one in heaven or earth could beat him at dice. He became a master of the very game that had once ruined him. Yudhishthira's eyes shone. 
He was pleased no end for Nala's sake. He said wistfully, How I wish I could find someone to teach me the Akshayrudaya. You won't have to look far, murmured Brihadaswa. You know it? Oh, will you teach me, Muni? Who knows if I will ever be challenged to another game of dice and lose my kingdom again, and even if we have it back? I beg you, teach me the Akshayrudaya, Brihadaswa. There is no one on earth that deserves better to learn the secret of gambling. You need no dice to learn the Akshayrudaya. Repeat this mantra three times after me, this prayer. That will be your first lesson. And then we will sleep, for the mantra must take root in your dreams. Tomorrow I will teach you another mantra. In ten days you will be a master of the rolling dice. Yudhishthira, who lost a kingdom at dice, shall be the greatest gambler in the world. Not Shakuni, not anyone will be your equal. Yudhishthira had unusual midnight diksha uh, gift or blessing. from blessing from Brihadaswa into the occult Akshakrudaya. That night the Pandavas slept soundly for the first time in months. The jovial Muni's arrival in the Kamyaka was like a breath of fresh air blowing through the disconsolate Yudhishthira's life. For just ten days the little Rishi stayed. By the time he left, he had everyone in a more hopeful mood. Even Bhima and Draupadi were smiling at his fabulous stories, which were not only funny but also made them see their own predicament with some detachment. Once their despair was blunted, the world seemed a brighter place and the flowers and the birds of the forest were no longer forlorn or ominous. Even Bhima realized his mind had been playing tricks on him. Yudhishthira was a master of gambling when Brihadaswa left the ashrama at Kamyaka and went off into the wide world from which he had appeared so opportunely. As they stood waving to the Muni, Draupadi said quietly, Well, he came just in time, didn't he? And gave Yudhishthira a wry smile. He replied, Arjuna will be back soon. I can feel it in my blood. Hours after Brihadaswa left, they heard the limpid plucking of a veena in the woods, the stringed instrument, and into the clearing walked Narada, as always with the song of Vishnu brimming on his lips. So Narada is this eternal wanderer, usually makes trouble. The Pandavas, Draupadi and the Brahmanas came and touched his feet and he blessed each of them. When they sat in the shade of the banyan, Narada said, Yudhishthira, I, th I think it's time you left the Kamyaka. Go on a Tirtha Yatra to purify yourselves for the war. Yudhishthira glanced at his brothers and he saw their face light up at the very mention of leaving. He turned to Dhaumya, their traveling priest. I am in favor of a Tirtha Yatra. It will lighten our spirits. What do you say, Dhaumya? You are our priest. Dhaumya was excited at Narada's suggestion. <coughs> the Brahmana cried, Narada Muni, would you... Uh, would never suggest a futile pilgrimage. Lord, which Tirthas do you have in mind for us to visit? Yudhishthira said, I am curious, Muni, what punya, virtue, does a man gain by going to the Tirthas? Narada laughed. Your grandsire Bhishma once asked the Rishi Pulastya the same question. I will tell you some of what Pulastya said. The Muni went on to extol the virtue and the power of the great Tirthas in the four quarters of Bharatavarsha of the Gomati in the Nainisavana, the name of the forest, Gomati is the name of a famous river, of uh, Prayaga where the Ganga and Yamuna meet, the Triveni Sangama where the Saraswati, Saraswati joins them, of the Mahanadi, the Nanda and the Paramananda and all the other Tirthas hold as the earth created for her sanctity and lying upon her as knaves of eternal grace where men may wash their sins. He told them some legends of the very first days of the world when the Tirthas were created. Apparently in the original, this is another 50 pages when he's talking about the creation of the Tirthas. Even as he spoke impassionate, pa passionately of the miracles that uh, enlivened the Tirthas in olden times, another great Rishi arrived in their midst. Even Narada rose, rose to greet Lomasa who had come straight from Amravati. Lomasa's face shone with where he had been and his eyes with the news he brought. Narada, who was a Trikalagyani, somebody who could foresee or see the future, said, Welcome Muni, I have been expecting you. Lomasa bowed to Brahma's wanderer son, greatest of all Vishnu Bhaktas. The Pandavas brought Arghya for the illustrious visitor and had his blessing. When they sat again under the old Nyagrodha, Lomasa said, I have come from Indra Sabha in Devaloka. I met your brother Arjuna there. He saw the delight on the Pandavas' faces. Draupadi, who couldn't contain herself, cried, O oh, Muni, tell us how he is. Is he happy in Devaloka? What does he do there? Does he miss us at all? Does he even remember us? 
Her lips quivered when she thought Arjuna may not remember her. Lomasa said, He grieves even in Amravati because he cannot stop thinking of all of you. But he had to master the astras which he will have need of during the war that is surely to come. Arjuna sits beside his father on heaven's very throne. Yudhishthira, the Lord Indra asks you to undertake a Tirtha Yatra through Aryavarta to purify yourselves for the war. He wanted me to go with you and look after you on your pilgrimage. Yudhishthira asked, and does Arjuna send us any message? Only that he misses all of you fervently. And then remembering he added, Ah yes, he has a friend and master in Devaloka, Chitrasena the Gandharva. Arjuna is not only a master of astras now, but of music and dance as well. Even the elves of heaven are always keen to have him sing for them. The Pandavas and Draupadi began to laugh. They could hardly believe their ears. <laughs> but Lomasa said, Indra says that during the thirteenth year of your exile, Arjuna will find good use for what he has learned from Chitrasena. They hardly understood how, and Bhima asked, Why does Arjuna stay on in Amravati if he has already learned the astras and music and dancing as well? Indra has a task for him. When it is over, your brother will return to the earth. Narada said, In the meantime, waste no time in setting out on your yatra. I must leave you now, but we shall meet again soon. As always, I have much to do. He smiled. Narayana's endless work. Narada blessed them and went off, plucking on his veena, his voice raised in song to praise Lord Vishnu, who protects the worlds from evil. Lomasa said, I have already bathed twice at all the Tirthas, but Indra was keen that I go with you on the pilgrimage. Manu himself undertook in the eldest days. You all know Manu? So Manu is the, the I guess, the Indian analog of Adam, supposed to be the first man. What could make a seeker like me happier than visiting the Tirthas again? Precious are the Lord's Tirthas on earth, Yudhishthira. They banish fear and doubt from the human heart, as no other worship can. And you, noble king, who are true to your word and firm of resolve, every vestige of attachment will leave you if you visit the holy places. Yudhishthira said humbly, I am overwhelmed, Muni, that Indra remembers me. I have no words with which to thank you. Choose an auspicious hour for us to set out, and we shall leave. Lomasa said, It will be best to travel with a small party, taking only the hardiest of your brahmanas. The journey will be quicker. You must ask Dhaumya who will go and who will stay behind. Yudhishthira took Dhaumya aside and the others who had come into exile with the Pandavas and had been such a source of strength and courage for them. He said, We will leave shortly on the Tirtha Yatra. Only those of you must come with us who can bear the rigors of the long journey, the extremes of the seasons, especially the icy mountain winter. Those who cannot endure this hardship that attends any pilgrimage should remain behind. The Brahmana's faces lit up at the very mention of a Tirtha Yatra. They retired into a little knot of whispered conference amongst themselves. And then Dhaumya said to Yudhishthira, We came into exile with you, knowing there would be privations to bear. I don't believe any of us has caused you concern so far. He paused and Yudhishthira glanced at Lomasa and saw he was smiling. Dhaumya seemed to be waiting for an answer to his question. Yudhishthira said slowly, No, Dhaumya, none of the brahmanas has been a burden in any way. On the contrary, you have all been of great support to us. Dhaumya cried, Then take us all with you on your yatra. Without you, we shall never be able to visit the Tirthas. Let this be a pilgrimage for everyone. Yudhishthira turned doubtfully to Lomasa, but that Rishi nodded, agreeing with Dhaumya. When Yudhishthira saw the excitement on the faces of the other brahmanas, he did not have the heart to deny them what they asked. The Pandava said, well then, we will set out at the hour Rishi Lomasa decides on. And there were tears in his eyes now, as those brahmanas embraced him one after the other. Lomasa decided that they should leave in three days. Bhima and Draupadi could hardly wait, though they were somewhat calmed by the news of Arjuna that Lomasa brought. On the eve of their departure, however, Narada arrived once more in their ashrava, and with him came Vyasa and Rishi Parvata, who some said was as old as the earth itself. They had come to bless the Pandavas before they set out on their adventure of the spirit, for no pilgrimage is any less. Solemnly those Munis blessed Yudhishthira, his brothers, Draupadi, Dhaumya, and the Brahmanas. Parvata said in a voice as resonant as his presence, Let your hearts be pure as you set out. Our blessings go with you, so you will overcome every obstacle on your way. It seemed to poor Bhima, the ancient one gave him a long pointed look, and the son of the wind trembled a little. 
Lying in his bed that night, Bhima prayed that he would become as pure and patient as his brother Yudhishthira was. Chapter 16, Tirtha Yatra. So, because there is a little description here, but in the original text it's much, much longer. This is why it's 12 volumes, right? So. It was the morning after the night of a full moon. The Pandavas, Lomasa and their party set out at dawn, walking towards the sun. All the Yatris wore Valkala, tree bark, or animal hide. The sons of Pandu carried their weapons on the Yatra because they must pass through jungles full of dangerous animals and rakshasas, demons. The birds were singing with the rising sun, singing the end of another fearful night. Side by side, Lomasa and Yudhishthira walked ahead of the others. <coughs> the younger Pandavas walked with Draupadi and she had brightened up marvelously as soon as they set out. Both she and Bhima were almost their old cheerful selves again, full of jokes, teasing each other. And so were Nakula and Sahadeva. Yudhishthira smiled to himself to think of the harsh things Bhima and Draupadi had said to him in the ashrama. It was obvious that like children they had forgotten all about it. A little saddened, Yudhishthira turned to Lomasa and said, Muni, why do I suffer like this? I have always walked the way of dharma, even at some cost to myself. My enemies Duryodhana and his brothers care nothing for the truth. They will do anything to gratify themselves, with no thought for what is right or wrong. Yet they live in comfort in a palace, and here I am in the jungle with my unhappy family. I cannot understand this. Why does a man who treads the path of dharma suffer, while those who are steeped in evil come to no harm? The Muni replied, It is the timeless question that many a good man before you has asked in the wilderness, and countless more will ask it, no doubt, in despair along the trails, deep trails of time. The answer is simple. The evil ones do not prosper, but only appear to at that very at that very moment very briefly. No man prospers by sin. His own conscience gives him no rest, and his crime consumes him from within. Some day those he has sinned against will recover from the harm he did to them, but the sinner's guilt remains with him, tormenting him until the hour of retribution arrives. There is no escape for the demonic man. Justice overtakes him, inexorably, despite all his efforts to keep it away. Then he is destroyed. But remember Yudhishthira, life is not simple. Neither is it as short as we think. All this began long ago. You have lived many lives before this one. So have your brothers and all of us. What you suffer today might well be punishment for some forgotten crime of your own. Of course, that does not justify what has been done to you, but it might explain it. The ways of sin and punishment are complicated, murmured Yudhishthira. Not really, said Lomasa, though perhaps they are longer than men realize. But essentially they are simple and universal, the paths of good and evil, of darkness and light. Even take the devas and the asuras, one race condemned to darkness and misery, and the other blessed with light, glory and sovereignty over, over heaven and earth. But it was not always so. Once they were all spirits of grace, and they all had the choice of which path to take. The devas chose virtue, while the asuras disdained it. The asuras were proud and pride became vanity. And because they were vain, they were full of anger, which they themselves could not control, but were its slaves. They became shameless and would do anything to gratify the lusts that were their masters, wrath, greed, and the overweening impulse to power. Their own sins destroyed the asuras. The devas committed to dharma, but at times they too strayed from the difficult path, and whenever they sinned, they paid for what they did. Often the force, forces of darkness routed them in battle, or the asuras gained influence over the earth, which is a domain of the devas. And at times when the devas grew so proud that they neglected dharma, the demons have even driven them out of devaloka and seized all their realms and their power, so both heaven and earth became provinces of hell. It was at such times that the incarnations of Vishnu came to save the world and restore dharma. This is called the Dasha avatar. I think I told you right, Vishnu takes these various forms and the current form is Krishna in this story. Though good and evil exist together in different measures at different times, dharma and adharma, virtue and sin, are primeval and simple. Though theirs is an unending struggle, evil has never triumphed over long, over good, for long, over good. In the most antique days when the devas grew vain and lost everything, they purified themselves in these same tirthas we are going to right now. When you have bathed in them, you will also recover your kingdom and your fortune as they did. Yudhishthira walked beside Lomasa in silence. He knew the rishis never speak idly, and what they say is beyond the common wisdom of men. 
the party of princes and ascetics journeyed on to purify themselves at the Tirthas, which are timeless centers of grace upon earth. They are beyond men's understanding, but they heal men's souls, wash their sins, and remove the terror that lives in a man's heart after he has sinned. They travel through heavy jungle and jade plain, crossing lush streams and wooded mountains, where four spirits watch them unseen. Pima was surely full of cheer, and so were Draupadi, Nakula, and Sahadeva, a heavy burden lifted from the patient Yudhishthira's heart. The journey was so pleasant, it seemed the power of the Tirthas reached out across the land of Bharata and touched them with immaterial fingers and blessing. They came to the sacred forest of Naimisa, where once in time out of mind a wheel of light fell, which Brahma cast down into the world and sanctified that vana, that forest. The river Gomati flowed through the Naimisa, and the Pandavas bathed in her. When they came ashore, they felt lighter than they had in years, as if a turgid darkness had been taken away from them. They went on to Prayaga, where the golden Ganga flows into the midnight blue Yamuna, and where the Saraswati loses herself in the two greater rivers. Here also they bathed, dipping themselves under the sparkling water with God's name on their lips and in their hearts. Again they felt cleansed of a darkness that had clung to them, while they hardly realized they had carried such a burden. Draupadi bathed in seclusion after the Pandavas and the Munis, and she would emerge, her eyes and dark skin shining. The days and nights of pilgrimage passed, but after their first ablutions, they felt no strain whatever from their journey. It was as if a vast strength had risen in their spirits, and it could take them on forever. They came south, following the age-old trail of countless pilgrims before them, to the Mahanavi. Here too they bathed, and felt as if they were in a river of light, which washed away the final vestiges of grossness that clung to their spirits. It was after bathing in the Mahanadi that Bhima and Draupadi came to Yudhishthira. Bhima had tears in his eyes. Red-faced, he blurted out, Forgive me, my brother. I did not realize what I was saving, saying. Forgive me, Yudhishthira. I never meant to hurt you. Yudhishthira embraced his brother. Turning to Draupadi, he saw that she also wept. She fell at his feet, sobbing. I was wrong to doubt you. My heart was full of sorrow. Yudhishthira glowed. He raised her up and clasped her to him. He said, now I don't feel so alone anymore. Our hardest battle is already won. On the banks of the Mahanadi, the Maharishi Agastya had his ashrama. Lomasa took the Pandavas to that profound sage for his blessing. Agastya was delighted to receive Yudhishthira and his brothers. He knew who they were and everything about them. He said, the rains are almost upon us. It would be foolish to travel during the monsoon with these frail munis and a woman. Stay here with us for these four months. You shall be more than welcome, Lord of the Earth. Yudhishthira was happy to accept the invitation, and neither Bhima nor Draupadi made any protest. Four serene months passed swiftly. There was, some, there was deep blessedness in Agastya's ashrama, and time here seemed to flit by. Yudhishthira especially was blissful, because Agastya made it a point to spend time with him, each morning chatting of this and that. Hardly seeming to, Agastya imparted much wisdom to the man, who would be emperor of the earth again one day. Once when the Maharishi went off mysteriously into the jungle for a few days, Lomasa told Yudhishthira about Agastya. An age ago he came down from the mountains when a black night of evil fell upon the earth. The devas cursed the world and all the trees in it withered and a terrible drought seized the land. Agastya came down with the bright seeds of celestial trees in his hands and scattered them over the sacred country, ending the curse. The rains returned to Bharata Varsha. Lomasa told them the other legends about Agastya Muni. He told the story of the demon brothers Ilvala and Vatapi, who waylaid unsuspecting travelers through this forest to make a meal of them, until Agastya disguised himself as a traveling mendicant and ate the Rakshasas himself. Agastya once remarked to Yudhishthira, How happy I am that you have come to, come to me. Do you know a yuga ago, another Kshatriya came to my ashrama in the Dandakavana, he also had his brother with him, and his wife followed him into exile. He too had been banished from his kingdom by treachery. Agastya stared at Yudhishthira as if to probe his deepest heart. Then he smiled. He seemed to have satisfied himself about the king who sat before him. Yes, indeed, you do remind me of the prince of Ayodhya. He's talking about Rama and the Ramayana. Though that was another yuga, when men lived much longer than they do now. But men's hearts don't change very much, and you are so like that Kshatriya. Yudhishthira, though he faced many trials, 
he survived his exile, went home to Ayodhya and ruled the earth for 12,000 years. And what a glorious time that was for the world. Rama Rajya, the rule of Rama. He took the Pandava's hand. Don't worry, my son. You will also rule the earth again one day soon, as wisely as Rama did. Destiny will fulfill herself beyond the plotting of evil men. That is what you are born for, Pandava, and that is what will be, inevitably. It is night now for you, a time to look within. Use it well, chasten yourself with this hardship. Suffering also is a blessing, and one must profit from one's trials and grow by them. Four months exactly the monsoon lashed Bharatavarsha. Then one day the sky was clear and not a straggle of crowd in its cerulean expanse, and Yudhishthira saw it was time to move on. Taking their leave of Agastya, who blessed them with many boons, the Pandavas left the banks of the Mahanadi and journeyed to the rivers Nanda and Paramananda. From there they walked to the mountain Hemakuta and worshipped its immaculate spirit. Now they turned west for the last part of their pilgrimage. All along the Tirtha Yatra, Lomasa was full of wonderful legends of the places at which they worshipped. Each Tirtha came alive as it could never have done if the Rishi had not been with them. By his inspiration, the worship was pure as stars. Their hearts were full of a sense of being part of God's majestic plan, though they could not begin to fathom its scope. Full of humility, they went from Tirtha to Tirtha, feeling lighter with every ablution, hope surging in their bodies and hearts. They bathed in the Godavari and the rivers of the south, then turned west until they came to the ocean. Walking north along the seashore along a path that Arjuna himself had once taken, the Pandavas came to Prabhasa. With inscrutable instinct, Krishna sensed their coming and he was waiting for them with Balarama, Satyaki and some other Yadavas. When Yudhishthira saw Krishna, he ran across the length of the beach at Prabhasa with waves lapping at his feet. Crying Krishna's name aloud, Yudhishthira ran into his cousin's arm, arms feeling his life begin again, miraculously, that he saw the avatara before him, his dark face, his dazzling smile, his black eyes so full of love. For the first time, Yudhishthira knelt before Krishna and the Dark One blessed him. The younger Pandavas came up and Krishna blessed them all. He blessed Draupadi, saying, You look even lovelier. I think the Tirtha Yatra has done you all great good. Then Dhaumya and the other Brahmanas knelt in awe before Krishna and he laid his palm on their heads. But Balarama, fair as the Kunda flower, the moon, silver and other and the white lotus, was shocked when he saw Yudhishthira and his brothers clad in deer skin and tree bark their hair long and matted in hermit's jatta. Balarama was seeing his cousins like this for the first time. He clasped Yudhishthira to him and bellowed, The eldest son of the house of Kuru wears Valkala with jatta down to his shoulders, so I would never have recognized him. Has the world gone mad? He turned to Draupadi, Queen of the earth, my eyes are cursed that they see you like this. Panchali, is this really you? Krishna, how can you bear to see them like this? Ah, how did Bhishma and Drona allow this? How did Dhridrashtra stand for it? Balarama shook his head from side to side, and Krishna had a mischievous gleam in his eye to listen to his brother. Balarama sighed, How could Duryodhana stoop to this? He banished them for thirteen years and rules the world from Yudhishthira's throne, while these Pandavas roam the earth like beggars. I have seen Yudhishthira in the Maya Sabha, where every king of Bharatavarsha paid him homage. I am amazed the earth does not yawn open and swallow sinning humankind, that this kind of dharma goes like a mendicant upon her. Come Krishna, come Satyaki, let the Yadavas right this wrong. Let us ride on Hastinapura and restore the Pandavas' kingdom to them. Satyaki cried, Let us ride today. We will sweep Dhridrashtra's sons from the face of the earth and set Yudhishthira on the throne that is rightfully his. Krishna said quietly, I don't think Yudhishthira approves of your plan. To which Satyaki cried, If Yudhishthira must keep the conditions of his exile, let him. Let us set Arjuna's son Abhimanyu on the throne of Hastinapura until the exile is over. Don't waste any time. The devils have enjoyed the fruits of their sin long enough. It is, it is a shame not just for the Pandavas but for the Yadavas as well that while we are lords of the earth, Yudhishthira and his brothers live so miserably. Krishna smiled. Ask Yudhishthira whether he will take the throne of the world if we win it for him. When they turned to Yudhishthira, he said gently, I thank you for your concern, Balarama, and you, Satyaki. But for me, dharma is higher than sovereign power. And my dharma is to spend 13 years in exile before I ask for my kingdom back. Until then, I must be true to the terms of the exile. He bent his head. Not only they, but I have also sinned. Krishna said, I fear Yudhishthira is right. 
Moreover, the day is not far when there will indeed be a bloody war, and then the Yadavas shall show their valor. That until then, let Yudhishthira decide his own course. For, as he says, this is his life and his battle. He must be the best judge of how to conduct both. Yudhishthira's eyes were moist as he listened to Krishna, as if he heard echoes of fathomless love in the Dark One's words. He bowed deeply to Krishna, Balarama and Satyaki. The Lord Balarama's wrath has already begun to destroy my enemies. And when the time comes for war, Krishna will be with us and so will Satyaki. How will our cousins defend themselves against you? But for the present, Krishna finished what he was saying. We should leave you to your own devices and of course to your Tirtha Yatra. Yudhishthira embraced him. We know how much you all love us and that your sympathies lie with us. For the moment, that will more than suffice. Krishna and Balarama returned to Dwaraka with Satyaki and the Vrishnis. The Pandavas bathed at the Prabhasa and turned north again on their Yatra. They came to the banks of the Saraswati and saw the Ganga before them. Fording the rivers, they arrived at the foothills of the Himalayas. The great mountains loomed before them, reverberant with the Holy Spirit, the eternal Brahman. Lomasa turned solemnly to the Ganga, which they had been following towards her source. Folding his hands, he prayed, Ganga Devi, protect the Pandavas in the Himalayas, which are Indra's domain. Yakshas, Rakshasas and Gandharvas abound here, and they have little friendship with the race of men. Yudhishthira was worried. He said to Draupadi, The way ahead is hard and dangerous. Lomasa and I will climb the mountain and meet you again in the foothills. But she cried, I will also climb the mountain. The Muni says, Arjuna will meet us on Mandara and I cannot wait to see him. When Bhima saw tears in her eyes, he said, I will carry Draupadi on my back when she grows tired. She is hardly heavier than a flower and it won't be my first time. I will carry all of you if necessary. Yudhishthira had to give in. Thus the Pandavas began their ascent of the white Himalaya. Okay. Chapter 17. I'm glad I wasn't recording all that. Yeah. <laughs> to Badri Kasrama. Dawn was just breaking and swathed the Himalaya in unworldly violets, pinks and crimsons edged with startling gold in a bewitching spectacle when after a sound night's sleep at the foot of the mountain the Pandavas began their long climb. The air was fragrant as if it had wafted down from Devaloka and the birds in the trees were all alight with song. They climbed effortlessly during the early part of the day and Bhima had a tune on his lips. Slowly the sun crept overhead, the air grew thinner the slopes steeper and the going became hard. While they had walked together in a cheery knot at first, now they climbed laboriously in single file. When they had gone like this for a way and the day ripened into noon, suddenly darkness scudded into the sky. In moments, ominous clouds piled above the mountains and blue lightning electrified a firmament dim as twilight. Up here, the elements of the air which seemed much nearer, the cracks of thunder and stark gashes of lightning were terrifyingly close as if the gods were angry and wanted to drive the climbers down. An icy gale began to howl through the sheer valleys in every direction at once. The wind pulled up massive trees on the slope and crashed them down again. Some cedars were torn up like straw puppets and carried dizzily away. The wind was deafening and dust swirled in its giant coils. The climbers couldn't hear each other about it, not if they shouted on top of their lungs. Fear gripped them, exposed as they were on the slope clinging to one another lest they were blown away as well. Lomasa, who had led the party, ran forward and crouched in a shallow cave, and the others scuttled in after him. They huddled together in that relative shelter while the storm raged all around. The rain came down, whiplashing the mountain. Every drop was like an arrow of fury. Sky and earth were one in that blinding downpour, as if this was already the night of the deluge. The hapless pilgrims crouched in their shelter, numbed by the power of the storm. For one hour it poured as if the sea in the sky was inexhaustible and the rain would not stop until the very mountain was drowned. Streams swelled into cataracts and hurtled down the slopes, sweeping along huge boulders and the biggest trees. Then as suddenly as it had begun, the storm blew out. The rain dwindled to a drizzle, then stopped. Patches of blue sky appeared above and the sun broke through them, flooding a cleansed earth with light again. The birds in the trees burst into song. Lomasa crept out of the cave, shaking his head and smiling. The others sat dazed for a while. Then slowly Kshatriya and Brahmana rose, and now the mountain appeared to welcome them. Full of humility, the Pandavas pressed on. The ground was wet and often slippery, and their progress was much slower than before. 
in somber silence, yet with strange calm came over them, come over them to, as if they had now been formally ushered into the sacred dimension that is the Himalaya, they climbed on. All at once Draupadi, who walked between Bhima and Nakula, gave a sharp cry. She lost her footing and tumbled down the slope they were climbing. Fortunately, Nakula was five paces behind her and stopped her from falling into a gorge that they had just skirted. He held her in his arms and sat on the ground, resting his back against a tree that had withstood the storm. The rest of the party gathered around. Panchali lay in a swoon with her head in Nakula's lap, and Bhima cursed himself he had not carried her as he said he would. Sahadeva fetched water from a brook, sprinkled her face and hands with it, and gave her some to drink. They saw how her feet were blistered and bled from the climb, but she had not complained because she had been afraid she would be left behind, and also because she did not want to burden Bhima when the going was so steep and slippery. Bhima himself had quite forgotten. He was stunned by the storm. The twins bathed Draupadi's feet in the icy water and color thawed back into her face. But now someone else confessed he could hardly stand the climb anymore. Yudhishthira gasped, I can't go on, my body burns, my breath heaves, and the mountain swims before my eyes. Lomasa said, Nara Narayana's Badrikasrama isn't far from here. We should be able to climb there if Bhima carries Draupadi and you rouse yourself, Yudhishthira, perhaps with Sahadeva helping you. In Badri we shall find shelter. So far, not Dhaumya, Lomasa or any of the other Brahmanas seemed in the least tired. For them this was a sacred journey, the opportunity of a lifetime and they were not about to let a little discomfort interfere with their pilgrimage. Ruefully, Yudhishthira pulled himself up and climbed on. Now Sahadeva went beside him to support him if he needed it. Bhima hoisted Draupadi onto his shoulders and carried her up the mountain as if she were another air, breath of air. When they had gone an hour, Lomasa, who strode ahead of the others showing the way he seemed to know well, shouted, Badri Kashrama, there, look ahead. When they looked up to see where he was pointing, they saw that the ashrama was a speck on the lofty shoulder of another mountain that towered ahead of them, at least ten days' march away. Yudhishthira gave a groan and sat down where he was. I must rest. I can hardly breathe here. The air is so thin. Sahadeva and Nakula sat beside him, and even Bhima was red in the face, short of breath. He too seemed grateful to set Draupadi down and rest himself. But the Rishi Lomasa and Dhaumya's Brahmanas were not tired at all. How their eyes shone when they looked where Lomasa pointed. They would have gladly gone on. Yudhishthira smiled to think he had wanted to leave them behind lest they found the journey too arduous. He said, I cannot go another step, at least not today. Even if we find something to eat and resume our journey tomorrow, I can't tell how far I will be able to go. Sahadeva added, I can hardly walk, Nakula as well, nor I. Lomasa said with a sigh, Gandha Madana is snowbound all year round, and the air grows rarer still as you climb. I can't think how we will reach the Badri Kashrama. Then Bhima said to Yudhishthira, I know how we will all reach Badri. The rest turned to him skeptically. Thinking this was another frivolous idea, Yudhishthira said, Tell us then, Bhima, how do you propose we arrive? Bhima smiled, Katotkacha, my son. The Rishi and the Brahmanas looked puzzled. They did not know what he meant. But Yudhishthira gave a cry and hugged Bhima. Of course, Katotkacha can take us to Badri. How Bhima glowed at his brother's approval, rare as it was. The son of the wind shut his eyes and thought of his Rakshasa son, his half-demon son. Called him silently wherever he might be. In a faraway forest, hidden between two impassable mountains, a vana where no man had ever set foot, a strange being suddenly grew wrapped as he ranged that emerald jungle with his companions on a hunt. He was more than a head taller than the tallest human, and lean muscles glimmered under his velvet skin. When the light caught him at some angles, he seemed to be made of finest black crystal. At other times there seemed to be sapphire dust in his pores. To another Rakshasa's eye, he was a splendid young warrior in his prime, though it was plain that he bore the blood of two races in his veins, and the Rakshasi women could never resist him. He was a prince of that secret forest where they live, a lord of his people, long-eared, fanged, and clawed when he fought, beautifully black, and his pate as hairless and smooth as a water pot. He was a magical being, as many of the high Rakshasas of the mountains were. They were a far cry from fiends like Baka and Hidimba, who had devolved to the lowest state their noble race could sink to. Katotkacha's Rakshasas were not brutish, blood-drinking trolls, but charmed beings blessed by Shiva and Parvati with supernatural powers, and they lived mysterious lives in hidden forests. They were followers of Dharma, knew the Shastras well, 
and had contact with other uncanny beings from worlds far and near, starry and subtle, realms to which men seldom had access. However, that day Ghatotkacha on his hunt heard his father's voice in his head, My son, come to me, I have need of you, as clearly as if Bhima stood right next to him. Ghatotkacha called an abrupt halt to his band of Rakshasas careened through the jungle. They were on the trail of a rare golden monkey whose flesh was a delicacy to them, and especially its brain because it conferred great virility. But the gilded creature had the power to make itself invisible and then it was a dangerous quarry, for it was also a killer which would materialize suddenly behind an unwary Rakshasa and strangle him silently with fingers as strong as they were long and fine. But now Ghatotkacha who led the hunt froze with his head cocked and his eyes intent. What happened, Ghatotkacha? cried one of the others in dismay. The monkey would have got far away by now. He said softly, My father needs me. Come, we must fly to the Himalaya. No questions were asked. By instinct, sure as sight, Ghatotkacha knew exactly from where Bhima called. The Rakshasas traveled in a manner that to men would surely be mystic, but for them was commonplace. Quite simply, they vanished from where they stood in the steamy vana, and a golden monkey hiding in the highest branch of a tree heaved a sigh of relief and stopped shaking. In moments the Rakshasas stood before Bhima and the Pandavas with folded hands. Black, exotic, magnificent Gatotkacha knelt at his father's feet and took the Padadhuli from them. Bhima hugged his son, kissing his cheeks, sniffing his smooth head, blessing him. Then the Rakshasas knelt before Yudhishthira who doted on him and whose favorite he was since childhood. Hugging his extraordinary nephew again and again, crying for joy to see him, Yudhishthira said, Now we shall surely arrive in the Badrikasrama. Sahadeva and Nakula embraced Gatotkacha and how radiant he was to see his uncles again. But Draupadi and the Brahmanas were afraid of the Rakshasas. Bhima brought Gatotkacha to Panchali and said, This is your mother Draupadi, my son. She cannot climb anymore and you must carry her up to Badrikasrama. Katotkacha knelt gravely at her feet and clasped them in long fingers that seemed to have dark diamonds for nails. Exhausted as she was and jolted by her fall, she shivered at his touch. Then she felt how true his spirit was, how loving, and with a wondering laugh she placed her hand on his smooth head and blessed him. Katotkacha's solemn eyes saw the cuts and blisters on her feet. He made a slight sign to one of his rakshasas, and the wild one loped gracefully up the mountain. He returned shortly with some dark leaves with a heavy fragrance. Katotkacha took the leaves and crushed them quickly, adding a few drops of moisture he squeezed from some other wet leaves on the ground. He gently applied the paste to the soles of Panchali's feet. Her feet went numb and then she felt as if green fingers drew out the pain from them. Not only that, but a thrill of well-being spread up through her body. Color flushed back into her cheeks and in a moment she could stand. She cried, Look, Pima, the blisters have vanished and my feet are not sore anymore. She took Ghatotkacha's hand and hugging him quickly cried, I have also, I have heard so much about you from today, but from today you are my son also. How pleased the Rakshasa was, for truth to tell he had feared she may resent him, since Bhima had been with his mother before Draupadi entered his life. Where is my uncle Arjuna? Yudhishthira pointed up at the sky. He is with his father in Amravati. He will return to us on the Himalaya where we are not sure when. We want to pray at Naranarayana's ashrama and we are exhausted. Katotkacha, you must at least carry Draupadi up the mountain. Katotkacha said softly, We will take you all up to the Badri uncle. He smiled, dazzling white against his face. If the holy ones don't mind being born there by Rakshasas. Bhima laughed and Dhaumya said quietly, we shall be honored to be born to the Badri or anywhere at all by friends as noble and virtuous as yourselves. Katotkacha bowed to the Brahmana. I will carry my mother Draupadi and my uncle Yudhishthira. My friends will bear the rest. Badri Kasrama is not far. He knelt and scooped Draupadi up easy as feathers and set her on one shoulder. He lifted Yudhishthira up and set him beside her. His Rakshasas took the other Pandavas, Lomasa, Dhaumya and the Brahmanas. Hold tight, little mother, cried Gatotkacha, but bound Draupadi and Yudhishthira to his back with invisible thongs of his power so they would never fall. The next moment they flew up from that mountain and Draupadi cried out in wonder as they flashed towards distant Badri, an extraordinary flight of demons and pilgrims. Even though the air, as birds travel, it took a fair part of the day to arrive on Gandhamadana and the ashrama just sat below the summit of the scented mountain.
Over the Himalaya flew Gatotkacha and his Rakshasas with their unusual burdens, all of them absorbed by what they saw below. Ineffable sunset was upon the white mountain now and its slopes resonated with colors never seen in the plains. Softly as a breeze the Rakshasas descended, descended on lofty Badri and the hermits who lived on that eagle's perch were astonished by the spectacle of ten demons flying down out of the twilight sky. With a stab of fear in their hearts, especially when they saw shining black Katotkacha who flew down first, the rishis of Badri rose to receive their visitors. Then they saw the Pandavas and Draupadi and the Rakshasas who carried Dhaumya and Lomasa landed among them. Lomasa was no stranger to the rishis of Badri and they came to greet him in some relief. They were still awestruck by the beings that had carried that sage and his yatris to their ashrama. These they saw were certainly Rakshasas, but soon everything was explained. Lomasa said, This is Yudhishthira of the house of Kuru. He did not have to say more. The rishis of Badri came forward to warmly greet the Pandava. They seemed to know all about Yudhishthira and his brothers Draupadi and their exile. They even knew where Arjuna was. The eldest among them was a Muni who looked a thousand years old, if a day. A thousand years that had made him more vigorous and full of light for every year he had seen. That ancient now said, It draws on time for your brother Arjuna to return to you and then time to fight the war at the end of the age. He sighed, And when the Kali Yuga sets in, Lomasa, it may be time for us to leave this ashrama and this earth. He was almost as tall as Gatotkacha and he swept the twilight sky and the mountains around them with glowing eyes. Long years we have lived here, for centuries we have sat in dhyana on the Badri. But perhaps in the age of terror there will be no one left to pray for the world, not even on this mountain. He turned to look curiously at Gatotkacha and his Rakshasas. Bhima said, Gatotkacha is my son Muni and I summoned him to carry us to Badri for we could not climb here ourselves. The old one smiled. I have heard of you, Gatotkacha, and you are welcome. Just that night, Gatotkacha and his silent Rakshasas spent in the ashrama. The moon rose, and when it was overhead, as they sat up late, talking, Sahadeva pointed down the mountain. Look! The Pandavas saw the moon was not only above them, but seemed also to have fallen to the earth a long way below them. What is it? whispered Bhima. The Rishis laughed. One of them said, It is a reflection of the moon on the Bindusas, where the Ganga has her source. Where Shiva let her down from his head, murmured Yudhishthira, the lake of water drops, said Lomasa reverently. The ancient of Badri said, This is how Shankara let her down, drop by drop, to quell her pride. The moon lay calmed on the Bindusaras, truly as if he had not risen not he had risen not only in the sky above but also in the mountain's heart. He lay there softly, breathtaking. In the morning the Rakshasas rose with the sun, and bidding farewell to the Pandavas, the Munis and Draupadi, Katotkacha left Badri Kastrama, promising to return whenever they wanted him. Bhima clasped his son tightly and held him for a long time. When finally Katotkacha and his friends had flown towards the rising sun and their forest hidden away in the secret valley, Bhima had tears in his eyes and so did Draupadi and Yudhishthira. Already a fine serenity stole over their spirits. This was the ashrama where Nara and Narayana had sat in Dhyana once and their tapasya blessed not only the mountain but spread through all of the earth and down the ages deeply. This mountain was a chalice of the Holy Spirit and nowhere else did Yudhishthira, his brothers, Draupadi and the others who traveled with them find such peace as they did in Badrikashram.